Well, we are now officially in the home stretch toward Thanksgiving. Hopefully your turkey is defrosting in the fridge. If it's not, get on the ball. Um, And I hope that your yard has fewer wet leaves in the backyard than mine does because I know that that is coming and I gotta get all those cleaned up. Well, for the last two weeks here, we have been um, getting ready for Thanksgiving by studying what God's word has to say um, about the practice of giving thanks. And we've been working on developing hearts um, of gratitude. So part of the way that we've been doing that has been asking folks, if you look on your seats, you'll find those those cards that are like seven days of thanks. So we've encouraged people to fill those out each day. Um, And like I said last week, it's actually been a really good practice. If no one else gets anything out of this, I know I've gotten a lot lot out of it and it's been great. Um, But I noticed this week I lost my card a few days ago, um, so I've been emailing myself. Um, And it's funny because one day, I think it was Friday, um, I had a harder time with it and I'm kind of staring at the screen. I'm going, okay, I know there's things I'm thankful for and I'm going through my day and, and, and it became a bit of a chore, but it's like, okay, I'm gonna do it because I know that it's a good thing. Um, and it was. But then yesterday I was working on it and I started thinking of, of folks who had been praying for me, people who had ministered to me, people who I'd served with here and, and years ago. And I just started this list and thanking God and it was this great gift and it was, I mean, my, my, my list of three things I was thankful for yesterday was about 25. Um, so it was, it was a pretty awesome um, thing for me. And I do encourage you, um, we're gonna do it again this week and hey, maybe even next week we'll do it because you don't stop thanking God just because Thanksgiving is over. But I do encourage you, we'll take some time at the end. Today we're gonna take like five minutes to work on that and then also work on the uh, gift intention cards if you wanna do that. And uh, so then we can you know, cut John's hair. Um, and we can be faithful to God too. Um, but again, we will be doing that at, at the end today. Well, the first week in our series, um, we read from Psalm 100, verse four and five. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. We also read Psalm 9, verse one and two. It says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all of my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. What we found as we read those passages, as we studied those a couple weeks ago, is that as we enter into God's gates, as we go through God's gates and enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise, as we give thanks to God with all of our hearts, We come into his presence very intentionally in a deep and a meaningful way of worship. It is worship that glorifies God for who he is. It is worship that draws us closer to the one who loves us, to the one who gave his life for us. Last week we studied Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which tells us, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. See, as we pray about everything, as we give thanks to God for everything that he has done, for all that he has done, even in the difficult times, we are filled with the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Another way of thinking about what we've talked about here um, is that we've been studying the fruit of thanksgiving. 
You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit of thanksgiving so far we've learned is meaningful worship and the peace of God. Well, here in the final week of our series, we're looking at one more fruit of being grateful people who give thanks to God. See, today we're gonna talk about the fact that giving thanks to God leads me to live differently and specifically leads me to a heart of generosity. We're gonna do that today by looking at the lives of two men um, from the life and teaching of Jesus. Now, each of these um, men were given a huge and life-changing gift. Now, the first was a very wealthy and very corrupt tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus. And the second was a man in deep debt who was about to lose everything. So first, let's talk about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus comes to us from Luke chapter 19, verse one through four. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. Now the story of Zacchaeus has been told many times. Uh, it's a favorite in Sunday school, especially among kids. There's even that song, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Well, unfortunately for Zacchaeus, now 2,000 years later, that's kind of his legacy, right? He's known for being the short little guy who climbed up in a sycamore tree. But there's actually a lot more to learn um, about him and from him and from the way that he lived his life. So Luke tells us a bit more than just about his, about his stature. Now, at the beginning, we learn that, that uh, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now, if you've heard about tax collectors, maybe you've heard about them in worship, maybe you've heard about them um, in, in a Sunday school class, something like that. Um, tax collectors back in that day were dreaded awful people. Now, no one today likes paying their taxes. That's just a fact of life. Um, people don't enjoy it. But back then, not only were you paying taxes, you were paying taxes to Rome. And Rome was the oppressive people who had come in and they had taken over your country and they had thrown out your leaders and put in their own leaders. And then the more money that you gave to them, guess what they did with that money? They went and took over more land. They took over more land from other people. So you're paying into all of that. So now you have this tax collector and the tax collector is one of your fellow Israelites. So now your fellow Israelite is working for Rome, is collecting those taxes. But the tax collector, what he does is he will go and he will sit at his table and he will collect taxes from people and then he takes the money and then he turns it into Rome. Okay, so what would happen is you would have this tax collector who's going, okay, Rome tells me that I need, you know, five denarii from, from this family. Okay, well, five denarii. So the family shows up and they say, okay, we're gonna pay our taxes like that will be eight denarii, please. So then he pockets the other three and then he gives them money off. So he is, he is a bad guy and we find out that he has grown quite wealthy from his larceny. Well, we learn that Zacchaeus is not only a tax collector, but he is the chief tax collector in the region. So thinking of this in modern terms, a tax collector wasn't like an IRS person because, you know, there's not really reason to dislike the IRS person. They're just doing their job and they're not stealing from you. So I would say the level of how bad of a guy Zacchaeus was, how bad of a guy these tax collectors were seen as is kind of like a drug dealer, okay? Coming in and destroying the community, stealing from the, you know, taking the money and growing wealthy on it. 
So he is a drug dealer, but not only is he a drug dealer, since he's a chief tax collector, he's not your low-level drug dealer. He's like two or three levels up, all right? And he rolls into the neighborhood in this Rolls Royce into this terrible neighborhood and tells you you need to pay him. In the community of Jericho, Zacchaeus is notorious and despised. He's the kind of guy that no respectable person would ever be seen speaking with. But Zacchaeus hears that Jesus is coming. He's heard about Jesus. Maybe he's heard some of the things that Jesus has taught. So he wants to see Jesus, but he can't see him, so he climbs up in a tree to watch him pass by or maybe hear some of the words that he's gonna say. Well, our other person we're gonna talk about today is over in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 through 26. And we meet this debtor. Now, we never learn what his name is, and he's actually part of a parable that Jesus tells. So listen to part of this parable that Jesus tells. It says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me, and I will pay it all. So here we have this servant, and he owes the king, he owes his master a huge sum of money. Now, the, the New Living Translation, one we just read, says that he owed him millions of dollars. Um, but I think that comes up a little bit short. I think they're just trying to come up with some big number. Uh, what the, the original language tells us is that he owed 10,000 talents. So let's do a little bit of math, okay? So one talent was about the equivalence of 20 years of wages, okay? So let's put this in today's term. The, the national average um, household income for our nation is $50,000. So if you've got one talent, is $50,000 times 20 years, because it's not just one year's salary, it's 20 years' salary. So one talent is $50,000 times 20 years is $1 million. He owed 10,000 talents, which means he owed $10 billion. That is a ton of money that he owed to the king. Now, whether it is $10 billion or several million dollars, his debt is something that is insurmountable. It is something he has no dream of actually ever being able to pay. He's known that that debt was there. He's known that it was gonna come due. And the day that he has been dreading has come and his world is imploding. So in desperation, he says, just, just give me more time. You know, imagine if, if the bank comes to you and says, hey, you owe us the $10 billion. And you say, just give me some time. I'll take care of it, I promise. So here we have two men in obviously very different circumstances. One is incredibly wealthy, the other is very poor. But what they share in common is that they are both in desperate need. Zacchaeus in his community was rejected. He was seen as unclean, separated from the family of God, from the people of God. Our debtor, he's at the feet of the king pleading for his life and the life of his family. Listen what happens to Zacchaeus in this circumstance when he's up in the tree and waiting for Jesus to walk by. Luke 19, five. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. 
So Jesus is walking along and he sees up in the tree this notorious sinner. If he knows who Zacchaeus is by name, he knows exactly who he is, he knows what kind of person he is. Up in that tree is this notorious sinner and Jesus has every right to look at him and just shake his head and keep going. No way. Jesus also has every right to look up and go, wow, there's Zacchaeus and he has the nerve to come here. Jesus had every right to call him out and even to condemn him. You notice Jesus... You know, we, we picture Jesus as, oh, he was always so kind, he was always so loving, he was always so nice to people. But there were times if somebody had been misusing people, had been mistreating people, especially the poor, Jesus would call them out. But something else happened. Instead, Jesus stopped. He called Zacchaeus by name and he invited himself to come to Zacchaeus' home. Now, that might sound a little strange, like, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm gonna come to your house today and you're gonna feed me a meal. But this was actually a very big deal. This was not being presumptuous on his part. This was a huge thing. To go into someone's home is to say, I respect you, I love you, you're a part of me, I'm going to eat the food that you prepare. So he is accepting Zacchaeus. He's saying, I'm going to come in and be a guest at your home. I'm going to welcome you into my life. See, when, when Zacchaeus climbed that tree, he was probably hoping for just a glimpse of Jesus. Maybe he's gonna hear something great that Jesus said. Maybe he's gonna see Jesus do something amazing. He doesn't know. What he wasn't expecting was that Jesus was going to offer him acceptance, was Jesus was going to bring him back. Well, now let's switch back over to our debtor. Matthew 18, 27. He's there begging at the, at the master's feet. Please forgive me, please give me more time. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. His situation was dire. He begged just for a chance to pay it back slowly, but instead the king canceled the entire debt and set him free. So for both Zacchaeus and for our unnamed debtor, they were given mercy and they were given grace. Now remember the difference between mercy and grace. Mercy is when you say, okay, I'm not going to punish you in the way that you deserve to be punished. You're not gonna suffer in the way that you deserve to suffer. Grace is to say, I'm going to give you something. Now, it's not just I'm just gonna let you go, but I'm going to give you something. It's also interesting to note that for both of these men, for Zacchaeus and for the debtor, not only were they given grace, not only were they given mercy, the mercy and grace that they were given came at great expense to the one who gave it, okay? So think about the debtor, right? So the debtor, when the debtor is, at, is not even asking to have his debt relieved, but, but when the debtor, his debt is relieved, that means that this king who had loaned out billions of dollars said, okay, well, we're fine. It came at great expense to that king. Jesus, when you think about Jesus, Jesus is there and he looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, why don't you come with me? We're gonna go to your house and we're gonna share a meal together and we're gonna share some life together. That comes at great expense to Jesus as well because Jesus wasn't the only one who knew what kind of person Zacchaeus was. This was in Jericho. This is in the place where, where, where Zacchaeus lived. This came at great expense to Jesus. He chose to associate with the worst kind of person, probably driving some followers away and definitely bringing judgment upon himself. So there sits Zacchaeus in the tree, and let's, let's see what happens to him. Luke 19, verse six through eight. 
Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He's gonna be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. And if I have cheated people in their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. So Zacchaeus is there up in the tree, and the first thing he does when Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, we're gonna go to your house, we're gonna spend some time, we're gonna share a meal, is he scrambles down that tree as quickly as he can. He grabs Jesus, he takes him off to his house, he's overjoyed at what is happening here. He is over the moon to welcome Jesus into his home. Well, not only that, not only does he welcome Jesus to his home, then he says, you know what? I'm gonna give away half of what I have to the poor. Now, we talked before about tithing being 10%. He's gonna give away 50% of what he has. And he says, if there's people who I have cheated, I'm going to repay them, not just what I cheated them, but four times what I cheated them. Zacchaeus experiences the extravagant grace of God and he's filled with joy and that joy leads him to repentance. That joy leads him to welcome Jesus. That joy leads him to overflow with generosity. See, I think what happened there is Zacchaeus knew what kind of guy he was. It's not like drug dealers are going, no, 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 it's good, I'm I'm helping people out, I'm fine. No, Zacchaeus was a bad guy and he knew that he was a bad guy. He had been kicked out by society because he was a bad guy. He knew the depth and the gravity of his sin. So when he was offered grace, he responded with deep gratitude, and in turn, he chose to bless others. Well, if Zacchaeus is living proof that, the, that one of the fruit of thanksgiving is generosity, You might be able to guess that if we're kind of comparing these two different guys, our debtor goes a bit of a different direction. After his debt is forgiven, listen to what happens in Matthew 18, verse 28 through 30. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So the first thing that Zacchaeus does is he climbs down the tree and invites Jesus over and he says, I'm gonna give away half of what I have and I'm going to pay everybody back four times what I owe them. The first thing our debtor does is he runs off. He finds a guy who owes him some money grabs him by the throat and chokes him. The man begs, he says, can I just have time? I will pay you back, I promise you that. But our debtor refuses and has him thrown in prison. Both Zacchaeus and our debtor were given extravagant grace. Zacchaeus responded, with grace, because Zacchaeus responded with, with, with gratitude and with generosity, with repentance. His life was forever changed by the grace of God. Our debtor, on the other hand, demands his friend pay what he owes. 
He is filled with rage and with greed. Well, much like Zacchaeus, I too sit in a tree. A notorious sinner deserving judgment. Like the debtor, I find myself standing before the king with a debt that I can never pay. But instead of condemnation, I hear these words. Jeff, my beloved child, your debt is paid. You are forgiven. So the question for me is, will I be overjoyed and will I respond with gratitude like Zacchaeus? Or will I be like the debtor, relieved for a moment, but then just go back to my self-serving routine of life, virtually unchanged by the grace of God? See, when my eyes are open to the truth, when I can comprehend what has been given to me, I think that's a big thing that's going on there. When my eyes are open, when I can comprehend what has been given to me, There's gratitude that pours out in worship. There's peace that fills me. There's this new perspective and there's this growing generosity within me. We realize that all we have, see we get this different perspective on money, we get this different perspective on possessions, we get this different perspective on life and the time that we have. We realize that it is all a gift of God should be used for his purposes. We realize that we are stewards. We talked about this stewardship campaign. Is a steward is someone who, you know, you, you have these possessions and you, you're kind of placed in charge of them and you use them for, for their purposes. So we are stewards of God's creation. We are not owners of our stuff. That very much changes the way they view money, isn't it? It very much changes even the way that we view our time, the way that we view people. We are stewards of God's creation. We are not owners of our stuff. That is lived out in how we use our money to bless other people and to do God's work. It also shows itself in how we extend grace to other people because if I have looked at my life and gone, wow, look at all the things that God has given to me and I want to be generous and share that with other people in many different ways, I think it moves beyond just how do I spend the resources that I have. It moves beyond how do I spend the money that I have, how do I, you know, giving to the church and giving to other groups and, and, and blessing other people and being generous with other people with our time and with, our, with our, our time, talent, and treasures and all these things that we have. But I think that it also carries over to grace. This is a silly example, but I'm gonna use it anyway. Um, so when, when I drop the kids off at school in the morning, I'll drop Haley off first um, at at Houston High School, and we, we turn onto uh, Wolf River. And when I turn onto Wolf River there, you have to join this big long line of cars. Anybody ever tried to pull into that? Yeah, it's, it's not much fun. Okay, so you pull in there, but what's amazing to me is every time I try and pull in there, there's these cars coming and they absolutely have the right of way. I've got a stop sign, they don't, I'm sitting there, but you know what, pretty much every time what they do is somebody will wave and they'll let you on in. And it's amazing what happens with that. And I know part of it's just routine because it's what you do, but it is this little bit of grace that is extended saying, yeah, go for it. Come on in, join the line. So then later you move on down, on down the road there and sometimes there's these drivers that come in on the left-hand side and they could have gotten in earlier, but they wait until the last possible second to get in. Now there's part of me going like, come on, dude, just get in when you're supposed to. But what just happened to me a few minutes before that is that I was offered grace. So it makes me go, ah, come on in, join us. There's plenty of room. 
But so often in other situations, if it's not the expected thing that I'm going to give grace to this person who waited forever to get in, I get stingy with my grace. I get stingy with my mercy. Oh, come on, dude, you gotta just do the right thing. God has offered me grace. God has offered me mercy. My response to that should be being generous, not only with my things, but also with grace and with mercy. Well, in California, several years ago at our, at our home there, um, we planted a dwarf navel orange tree in our backyard. Uh, I wanna show you this picture of it. Now, this is from a few years ago. Tyler was a little smaller, and there's Maddie there, and, and he, you can't really tell in the picture, but he's eyeballing her like, you better not take this ball. Um, so if you look over on the left there, there there's a little kind of orange and black square. Inside of that square is our dwarf navel orange tree. It was a tiny little thing. It had lived in a pot before, and then we finally put it um, into, into the ground there, and it took a while, and, and, and I, I tried to take care of that plant. I watered it. You know, I set the sprinkler to make sure that it was, that it was hitting at the right amount, and, and we gave it... Uh, this plant food that was made for citrus trees. Well, every year in the spring, we would get these beautiful orange blossoms that would come. If you've ever seen an orange tree, they have these really neat little, little white flowers on them. So it would have these, these orange blossoms. Well, these orange blossoms were beautiful, and then they would fall off because out of, out of that flower came the beginning of a little orange. So I'd get really excited because we would have all these orange blossoms all over the tree, which meant we were gonna have all these little oranges that were gonna grow in, and I got very excited when it happened. But each year, those tiny green oranges fell off or they were stolen by squirrels or by rats or the wind would just knock them off and I would never get a crop. I was excited about it. It looked like we were gonna have a crop and we never got one. Well, after several years, we finally got a crop of oranges. You know how many oranges we got with that first crop? One, Bart's right. We got one one crop. That's it. Hey, for us, that was a crop, okay? I'm not a farmer. Um, but it was super exciting. We had this crop, and it was actually a really good orange. So the next year, you know how many oranges we got the next year? We got like two of them, I think. Maybe three? I don't know. But two of them were good. Well, the final year before we moved, I think we got about four or five of them. Well, this little tree taught me a few things about life, and it taught me about the work of God in my life. The first is that healthy trees bear good fruit. Now sometimes that takes time. Sometimes that takes a long time. Sometimes we will have these false starts where we go like, okay, you know what? We're, we're, we're having this tree that we're growing at Thanksgiving and, and being thankful and it's gonna grow and, and we're gonna have you know, this fruit of being grateful people. We're gonna have this fruit of worshiping God and we're gonna have this fruit of peace and we're gonna have this fruit of, of um, what are we talking about today? Harvest, yeah. Okay, so we're gonna have this, this harvest of all these great things and, and being, being uh, generous people. That was the other thing I've been talking about for the last 20 minutes. Um, so we're gonna have this harvest and it's gonna be great and it's gonna be exciting. We get these little flowers and it looks like it's growing and then we've been filling out these cards and we're going, man, this is so exciting. But then guess what happens in two weeks? We forget about the cards and then those little fruits have fallen off and we get frustrated and we get disappointed. But then the next year comes and guess what? We do it again, but maybe next year we've picked up a habit. Maybe next year we've grown a little bit. Maybe next year we've continued to worship. Maybe next year we've continued to be generous people. Maybe next year we've had a growth in our peace. I've also learned that it takes commitment. It takes making intentional choices. That orange tree, that little tiny orange tree on its own was not gonna grow unless it was watered, especially in California. 
So we all want to be grateful people, people who worship God, people who find peace and trust in him, people who are generous with others. So we pray and we read and we try to be thankful. Sometimes we even write things we're thankful for. Sometimes we stick with it for a while and we see a difference. But sometimes those signs of gratitude wither and get knocked off. So this week what I want to invite you to do is not just wrap up Thanksgiving because, hey, it's Turkey Day this week and then we move on. I mean, what do you do the day after Thanksgiving? Not only do you Black Friday shopping, hopefully online, um, but we also decorate for Christmas because we want to get ready for that. Well, my encouragement to you and to me is to not just believe me and say, hey, it's great and it's important that we're thankful people, but to actually do something about it. So again today, going to invite you, we're gonna take just a few minutes here, three, four, however many minutes, um, to fill out these things. And there's, there's a pen on each row and there's, there's these pages on, on each row. Um, take one of them and actually take it with you, even just to humor me, take it with you and fill out three of those things. Sunday, November 24th, that is today. So that's the first thing I'm gonna ask you to do. And then also we do have the gift intention cards. And it's not a, a coincidence that we're talking about being generous and, and making intentional choices at the same time that we're talking about these gift intention cards. And we're joking about, you know, you know collect them all so that John can cut his hair. But there's something that is much, much more important than that. Because it really is about making this choice to say, you know what, I know that I'm a steward of God's things. I know that, that God has given them to me, has entrusted them to me, and is calling me to use them to bless other people and to give back to him. So invite you to take your time, if this is something you're gonna do, to fill that out, whatever amount it is. I'm not asking what amount you're doing. It, it's, it's, frankly, it's not my personal business. But do invite you to fill that out just to think about how am I going to be generous with the money that God has given to me. But first, before you do that, I do invite you to fill this thing out and say, how has God blessed me? How has God given me great things and put wonderful people into my life? So we are going to pray and then we're gonna give you a few minutes and I swear I just saw Rashad. Oh, there he is. And Rashad is gonna play something for us on the piano just to give us a little bit of space to, uh, to, to do that. So, so let's pray. Father, thank you for the many, many, many blessings you have given to us, that cornucopia overflowing with all the great things that you have given to us. But Lord, you've given us more than just great things, you've given us yourself. Lord, help us to rejoice in the fact that we know the creator of the universe, that we know that our redeemer lives, in the end we will be with you. But Lord, not just in the end, but right now. Thank you for being our God, thank you for being our savior. Thank you for the many wonderful things you've done for us. Lord, we give you this day, we give you this time. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.